Hangover Chronicles podcast. This is John Cannon, and my guest today is Peter Vesey. And Pete Vesey covered the NBA like a blanket for about 30 years and uh, has been uh, retired, more or less, although he still shoots an opinion out on Twitter once in a while. A great follow-up. At, uh, at, is it Peter Peter Vesey1? What's your Twitter? Yeah, at Peter Vesey1. But, boy, it's more than, it's more than occasionally lately. I've been... Uh, I've been blistering well, the uh, the Twitter, and, and uh, John John I covered covered professional ball ABA NBA for over forty years, forty five years. Oh, okay, got my yeah. decades wrong. Yeah, uh, well, oh. I wish I did too. Today, this guy George Sands, who uh, tweets out history uh, on this day, I don't know if you see it on my Twitter account, but he's constantly tw- tweeting out. This day in history, and uh, he's he's unbelievable. I, I've gotten to know him personally over the years, and uh, he's an amazing guy. And he's also very funny, and uh, he collects autographs. He's got everybody's autograph that you could ever think of. And so today he tweeted out that uh, today was the uh, the anniversary of uh, the Colonels beating the Pacers in 1973 for the uh, ABA championship. So I tweeted back. I said I covered that series, and then and then it dawned on me that, you know, George, this might be the first time you're wrong in your life because the Pacers won that series, not the Colonel. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I caught him in something. He's got old crap shots and me in mistakes. I finally caught him with one. He was laughing at that. So, oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. only John. John, I gotta tell you. So I. I was I was really thinking about that series because you know I don't know I don't know if your your listeners can take this kind of stuff but uh, uh, after the after that series was over it ended in in the Indianapolis I uh, I I had sconded to Fort Lauderdale with one of the cheerleaders of the Pacers and um, I mean it's just just a beautiful Anne Margaret looking woman. And uh, Don Boosie had his girlfriend, and the, and the four of us went to Fort Lauderdale. And uh, so that's okay. I mean, but the worst part of it is, is you know, I called my wife and said I won't be home. And that was the end uh, of that marriage. And that was the end of that marriage. So. Um, yeah, that'll happen, from what I I understand. Wow. That's what an ass! Uh, what an man. asshole! What an asshole I am! But. <laughs> But uh, did, did my, you, did, is that why you remember the, the result of yes, that? Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. I started to think about it. I said, hold on a second. Wait a minute. <laughs> wrong, wrong victor. And, and, and the biggest loser of all was me. <laughs> wow. How about that? And, you know, the, the colonels, I know, I think they won in 75. I think I remember yes. them issuing a, a, a challenge to the Warriors who won the NBA in 75. And for some reason, the Warriors were not interested in that. <laughs> well, they had nothing to gain. You know, I, yeah, they were willing to put up a lot of money. Uh, the league, the ABA was, I think, at that time, willing to put up a million dollars for the winner or something like that. And uh, at one point, I thought it might happen. And uh, it didn't. And that, that would have been that would have been a great, you know, if you play one game, okay, fine. But, uh, boy, that would have been some series because – Colonels were loaded. That was an artist, Gilmore, Dan Esso, you know, Louis Dampier, Ted McClain, Wilbert Jones, one of the jo- the oldest Jones brothers, you know, Paul Wells' wow. older brother. And Hubie Brown coached 
And believe it or not, and you'll have to believe it, I, I got a call today from a guy named Pinky Gardner, and he was the trainer on that team. Wow, on the Kentucky team. Call this morning. Call us. Call me this morning. Eight eight thirty in the morning. Pinky, what? I didn't pick it up. I said, Are you kidding me? I'm not picking that up. Too early. Um, okay, so let's um, let's let's circle back to now, and then we'll work backwards. And we don't have to spend a lot of time on now. But I I, I find what's happening in the media now with there are so many national NBA writers, and you were the first national NBA writer, were you not? Yes, I was. Not not only you know, this guy from the lead did a did a big piece on me recently, and. I tried to impress upon him. It's amazing how when you speak to somebody and you expect them to understand, and then he writes it incorrectly, and then I call him and say, you know, that's not right. And he's just, yeah, well, whatever, and he left it. I, not only was I the first national uh, NBA specialist columnist, there was no such thing in the country as a sports specialist. I was the first, and I was trying to tell him it wasn't just the NBA. It was all sports I was the first. And the, the guy who came in behind me like six months later was Peter Gannon doing baseball with the Globe, Boston Globe. Mm-hmm. But the guy, the guy just wanted to not print that. I don't, I don't really get it. But, <laughs> all right. Well, it's, it's one of the things that, that led me to the broadcast business a long time ago because – I didn't have to deal with editors, and oh, I. God, you know, God what happened that. was, what they could say to me was, John, instead of five minutes, you got three, and, and I could deal with that, you know, but because I could decide what goes in the three minutes. But when you turn in a column that they told you I want, you know, twenty inches, and then somebody says, oh, that needs to be fourteen, and you don't get to decide what comes out, I, I didn't like that, the feeling of that. So I wound up, <laughs> wound up in the broadcast business because. Right. You you don't and you don't have to take what somebody said and understand it and and write it and and it stays in print forever. You let them say it. This is you know Pete, Peter gets yeah. to say it and then I don't have to right. interpret it. Right, yeah, right, uh, exactly. So I, like this. so I I I want this uh, understood. I hate editors and uh, I hate them as much as lawyers and bankers and stuff and uh, um, they're the worst. I mean editors are the worst. I'm going through it now. You know you had said about my book. I trying to write a book on my on my life uh, and uh you know so we have a big time company i won't name big time publisher they you know very interested and they want to uh tell me what to write and they tell me you know we, we really you know we want you know chapters on all the top guys and you know and uh i said yeah well you know i, I can do bird and i can do irving and you know, and, and uh, Jordan and, and uh, you know, guys that I really was around and, and had a relationship with and had stories. But, you know, well, we want, you know, Shaq. And we, I said, I don't have a relationship. I mean, I have some stories. Like that. You know, don't, don't tell me. Well, we don't really want much about your life. We just want you, you know, in the story. That's what I'm saying about editors. So right. They, right. they love me, but, you know, I walk away from it. I said, this is a joke. And then on the other side, I have my wife. My new, my newest wife, 37 years, telling me, you know, you really don't want to tell that story that I just told you. I said, but I didn't know you then. 
yeah, but you know, people people don't want to read that. I said, yeah, they really do want to know. Well, you know, if I'm an asshole, they want to know it. And if I'm saying it and it's true, you know, that kind of makes me a little more human than than ordinary. Then, no, I don't want you writing that. Stuff. Now I have an editor at home. Right. <laughs> this book will right. never get written. This book will never. And, get and the, well, and the reason that I don't read autobiographies <laughs> as a rule is I, I know that they're not the truth. They're a mm. you know they're a varnished they're a varnished edition of the truth that the the publisher and the and the person yeah. wants to have out there and and if it's you know Hank Aaron yeah I'll read that because I want to know you know even the varnished truth I'll take with with Hank Aaron but if it's somebody lower than that and they're trying to tell me this is the way it is I'm I'm not buying it yeah uh, so I want to ask you. Um, because you covered the NBA so closely, and specifically in the '90s and and the big, um, the, you know, the big years of the Bulls, I've, I've got to no, touch base. No, with you John, on. let me let me start specifically in the '70s, '80s, '90s, and you know, 2000 and up to 2011. There was no one yeah. one era that stood out. I'm telling you, those '70s, whoa, and those '80s were unbelievable, and the '90s, of course, you know, fantastic, and then it was, you know, it was really great up until I left, basically. It, uh, you know, it never, okay. never got boring. Never got boring, and there was always a, an excess of, uh, of things to write about. You, you know, you could go in and, and uh, you know, you wake up in the morning, and, geez, what am I going to write today? And then you'd see what happens <laughs> the night before. <laughs> okay, that's easy. Let's, let's go with that. You know, they're always making news, okay. these guys. Well, the, but the you thing don't mind, you don't mind if I interrupt you and tell you these things. No, you? one of the things I liked about the idea of, of doing this with you is that you – and the reason that I thought right from the beginning we were going to have to do two parts because I knew that to an extent you would interview yourself, which is great. <laughs> uh, you're not going to rely on me to ask the perfect question. If I leave it out, you'll just ask it yourself and then answer it, and, and we're good. So I, I'm counting on, on that from you. Oh, good. So All right. We'll, we had we'll this year – We've had this year the Warriors and and the pursuit of 73 wins and the constant conversation about are they better than the Bulls? Would they beat the Bulls? Would they beat the Bulls with the 90s rules? Would they beat the Bulls with these rules? Uh, would they ever beat the Bulls? Would they beat the Bulls in Twister or Tiddlywinks? I mean, yeah. you know, it's yeah. all about – uh, the Warriors and, and whether they would or would not. And then you have Oscar Robertson and you have Scottie Pippen and you have Tracy McGrady most recently, all you know, just kind of chipping away at what the Warriors have accomplished over these almost two seasons. Right. And, and as a guy, you know, so yes, you, you were there for 45 years, but you were really, really there in the 90s. And I just want to tell people, but you know, right now, uh, everyone's got to follow Woj on Twitter and, and these different people who have this stuff. Peter Vesey had a fax that he would send out. It was three days a week, I think, right? Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yes. The ho yeah. hoop, hoop uh, du jour. Yeah. Just Whatever, came back yeah. to me. Hoop, hoop du jour. Right. And 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 my radio station got on the list. And uh, I think the deal was we'd have you on once a week, which was great for us. And then we would talk about the hoop du jour, and then you'd maybe get subscriptions to it. It was a, a total win-win. And we would knock each other over running to the fax machine to get that thing on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. That was the news of the NBA, and not just the news, but the gossip of the NBA. Who was talking to who and what was going on and who was, trying, who was being traded and who, was, you know, who wanted to be traded um, that, that 
in in that time, and this was the you know I started in in radio in Phoenix in '93 and, and was there through '97 or so, and and you were just so front and center that whole time with your NBC work. Um, so that's why I, your opinion on this issue, if you have one, is, is valuable to me. All right. So um, what do I, what do I think of the Warriors? I, you know, I think the '75 Warriors were much better. No, I'm only, I'm only kidding. Yeah, the '75 Warriors were the last time that I actually picked the winner in the final. Uh, I, I was like the which is phenomenal. Picked, yeah, I picked the Warriors to win. I, I didn't pick them to sweep, but I picked them, picked them to win. But um, what is the biggest you know, upset in my mind still in the in the uh, not only the NBA Finals, but you'd have to go pretty far in any sport to find a bigger upset uh, than than that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I look. I, I covered Rick Barry in the ABA for two years with uh, the Nets, and you know was 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 hanging out with him. So I was probably prejudiced, but I I, uh, I spent I spent a lot of time around that team because I I would go out and stay with Rick at his house, and um, whatever. So so wait a minute though. Wait wait a minute. wait a minute. That's interesting to me because I feel that one of the reasons the Warriors don't get as much credit now for what they've done is this, this West Coast problem they have. And that people last year didn't see them at all during the regular season because most of their games are played. Everybody in the East is asleep. And then even in the playoffs, there was always some reason to discount them. Somebody yeah. was hurt, something going on. And so they didn't get the credit. And I think the reason you picked the Warriors in 75 was because you paid attention to them, which no one else did. It was even worse in '75 right. to be playing on the West Coast. It oh was, yeah, you, know, you were you were in Siberia. No one yeah. no one would get box scores. People would get up and they'd get their their paper yeah. in the morning. They wouldn't even see that you won last night. So much less how you did or how many Barry scored or, or so, and no one ever saw them on TV that 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 no, year. They saw them so the next different. year. So different yeah, covering so then versus now. Even then, I didn't have a column. I was working for the Daily News then, covering covering the Knicks. And so when the uh, you know when the next season ended, I, I jumped on to the to the uh, the other teams that were playing, and then of course the Warriors for the finals. And, and John, I did not travel to San Francisco, Oakland for the uh, for the games there. That's that's how bad it was. You know they weren't going to pay in those days to go. If it was the Knicks, they would have. But no, the Warriors. So I don't think I've ever told anyone that, but I never made that trip. And then you know they they. Uh, Switch games and arenas, and you know the, the, the format. They changed everything. But let's jump. Let's jump to uh, to now. Okay. Um, you know, look, I, I I've paid such attention to the Warriors. Uh, you know, for for years I've loved the Warriors. There are a lot of New Yorkers going to those games. At least they were over the years. You know, they, you know, it's a great place to go. And so I've always kind of liked the Warriors. And then. You know, and then they got Mark Jackson coming as the coach, and and I covered him extensively. And I go out there before his rookie year, and I see see Curry, I see Clay Thompson. I, you know, I was in the gym when Clay Thompson was shooting around by by himself or with a couple other guys because he wasn't allowed to work out with the Warriors. Uh, they, they had cap cap situations, so he couldn't sign yet, right? And I and I was with Mark. And Mark's watching him shoot, and I'd never heard of Clay Thompson. I know his father so well. I know his mom before before any of the kids were born. She's as gorgeous now as as she was then, and I've told her that, and got a hug for it. So that that made my night. And and um, 
so so Clay Clay shooting around and Mark's going, yeah. I mean, can you believe the way this guy can shoot? I said, I you know I don't I don't really you know really. And he said, this guy never missed. And he said to Clay, uh, you ready? You ready? You ready to you know I think they were ready to you know put him on the roster. You ready for all this? He said, yeah, I'm I'm definitely ready. And and Mark said to him, I I would have been uh, upset if you you know said anything else, but. So anyway, so so I was there, Clay, and uh, you know I know for a fact that uh, when when uh, that you probably don't know this, John. I'm gonna tell you something you don't know about your team. But when the draft was was uh, happening, the Warriors uh, wanted to trade the pick for Landry Field. Did you know hmm. that? No, I did not know that. Well, think think about it. Where's Landry Field from? I don't Stanford. even remember. Stanford. Oh. Owner, Stanford. So, you know, everything Stanford. Right. You know, you have the doctor, talking about Kobe, Stanford, right? trainer, oh, Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. So, Go ahead. you know, and, uh, you know, Mark, Mark talked talk them out of that. And uh, so they draft Clay Thompson. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how things happen. And then, so, okay, so I'm, I'm into them. I'm into Curry because the Knicks, you know, wanted Curry bad. They got uh, aced out by Don Nelson, and so they knew it was coming. They were told by the agent, you know, you better move up because you're going to lose them, and and they didn't. And uh, you know, in my book, I will explain what the hell happened there. Huge mistake by the Knicks because they loved them. They told they they told his coach Dick McGuire was the chief scout, former former player and and uh, mm-hmm. coach of the Knicks. He's down. He's down at Davidson and. You know, watching Curry work out, and he's telling, he's telling them we're taking him. You know, that came straight from the coach told me that last year. But we all knew, wow. we all knew they were interested in him, and um, so now you know, so I'm following, and I and I'm watching the progress now. You know, over the last uh, few years, and and he just gets better and better, and Clay just gets better and better, and. You know, Draymond Green, who nobody wants to give Mark Jackson credit for giving him a chance when he was a, a nobody second-round pick and letting him shoot threes when everybody was on his head. Why are you doing that? You know, why are you playing him? Why are you letting him shoot? Why are you going small? Everything he did, he got crap for, and everything that you know, they've done since and won championships with. So I've watched that team grow, and um, I, now I'm going to get to the answer. If they played, in my mind, if they played any of the championship teams of the, uh, you know, the 80s, the 90s, uh, and even the runner-ups, you know, for instance, you know, Carl Malone's team, Stockton's uh, Jazz, uh, Seattle, Kemp Kemp and Peyton, um, runner-ups, I do not believe they would win. And, Mm -hmm. And the reason being is that those teams could play Big and they could play small, and the Warriors get you when you can't play both. You can only play one, and then teams try to match up with them small. And that's that. If you if you have to, you have to. But they're gonna fi- find out if Oklahoma City gets in into the next round. They're gonna find out that small doesn't get it against that team because now finally somebody is going big. Billy Donovan has. You know, I've been on him all year for why aren't you in on Twitter? Why why are you not playing Cantor more? You're playing him eighteen minutes, he's like almost a double double in eighteen minutes. 
why aren't you playing him more? So now they're playing Adam. Now he's playing Adam and Cantor together, and that is really, really hurting the Spurs. They killed him off the boards the other night, and that's going to continue. They're not going to match up with the uh, the Warriors. Let the Warriors match up with them. And, and all those championship teams, I, I did a I did a piece for some some magazine in Spain or something asked me to do something, and, and you know I did it just for nothing, just to, and, and I I pointed out about. The 86 Celtics, which I think was the best team ever. Can you imagine how the Warriors could ever match up against four seven-footers all in the Hall of Fame? And then, you know, should I name them? Bird, you know, Bird 6'10", Walton, you know, Parrish, and McHale, right? Right, right. 6'10", 7'1". How do you match up against them? You think they're going to go small? And what do you, how are you going to do? Both will foul out in the first three minutes of the game, and Azealia will follow him. So now you've got outside shooters on that team like Wedman, Ainge, feasting shot like 63% from, from, uh, on that year from outside. Um, uh, they, they were in bird, of course, outside shooting. So they had the outside shooting, too. They, they could have adapted to today's game easily, you know, with the, with the three-pointers. Instead of taking four and five a game, they'd be taking 12. You know, right. Bird would be taking 12. So, no, there's, there's absolutely no way they could beat that team or, or a lot of those teams because they had the same stuff. That's my that's my answer. Okay. Cause there were, so there were better big men in in that era that, that teams could stay big rather than taking yeah. their marginal big men they have now. The big men are marginal. So, yeah. for the most part. Like take and try to go small uh, yeah. and – and they wind up uh, just not being small enough and good enough. Right, because, because uh, you know, Harback is holds more famous to say, I'm not going to match up against you. You match up against me. You know, I'm not going to change up what I'm doing. I'm winning I'm winning big, you know. The Lakers, what, they're going to sit Kareem down? <laughs> what? <laughs> man. Who's right. going to guard Kareem? <laughs> you know, Magic at 6'10". What? You know, who's going to guard him? Now, obviously... Well, Tough to guard, tough to guard the Warriors, but you know um, there'd be a lot more physicality, and uh, people would be knocked down. And uh, I'm I'm amazed, you know, even in today's you know hands-off league, that Draymond is allowed to get away with an awful lot of stuff. But if you touch him, he's crying, like he did with Henderson the other day. I had a laugh. Henderson barely touched him on a foul, and he wanted to fight him, pushed him. So, I, you know, I just imagine Oakley with Draymond coming down the lane a few times where guys bail out on him. I saw Lillard just go the other way rather than try to even foul Draymond. You know, really? <laughs> Where's more right, focus? Well, Come on, man. <laughs> one of the things that I, I do think gets a little bit lost in in the conversation is how young the Warriors are as a team. And they're they're compared often to the late – career bulls the jordan they're the 90s the, the, the after jordan's return bulls and and these guys right. jordan and rodman and all these guys with you know with 10 years in the game oakley um uh you know, harper and uh well, oakley, sure. oakley was ne- oakley was never on the championship team but 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 oh, he know, was, look, okay he was the first three the first three bulls teams compare them to them you don't have to compare them to the second three you know it's like horace grant was young pippen was young jordan was you know same age as uh same age as uh, curry um 
Well, Curry's like the league. oldest guy on this. I mean, no, he's not the oldest guy, but he's the oldest yeah. star on this on this team. Well, you know, uh, look, it, but, it, but it's an interesting perspective. not young. Bogus not young. You know, I, I look. Right. I, I I have no problem with the youth thing, but it doesn't doesn't really factor into what I'm saying. Whatever age, I don't care what age. It's like we're talking about you, you're talking about the championship teams. You know, compare them to the championship teams. But I'm right. saying compare them to. You know Jordan's Bulls when he was just barely making the playoff uh, championship teams, or you know '96, '96 Sonics. You know they were. I don't know the age. The age doesn't matter to me. But I hear you. Yeah, I just feel like the. the uh, I don't fear the you, men, but I hear you. <laughs> yeah, that the that uh, the guys just get they get bigger and stronger during their time in the NBA. And and when a guy's been in the NBA for you know three or four years, as uh, as you know Draymond and and Clay and Azili, uh, who all came in that uh, you know, uh, that draft. Um, yeah. Well, Draymond was yeah, that was one draft, right? Draymond, Clay, and Azili was all one draft. Yeah, hey John, uh, I don't pretty, I don't believe it's possible, humanly possible, for Draymond Green or Azili to get much stronger. Okay. And if they do, if they do then they're not going to be able to do what they do. I've seen so right. many the, guys the would have that, to change. Right. Hit that weight, they hit that weight room, these guys, and then they can't do what they did before. Or, or you know, these power forwards. I, I always remember Dan Roundfield in the ABA, you know, what a great power forward he was. And then and then when he, then he discovered he got a jump shot, you know, like Draymond does. Um, and then he stopped going inside, and that was the end of Dan Roundfield as a, as a fourth. But you see it all the time. You know, less time in the weight room, not needed, and uh, you know, a, a minimum is needed, and then uh, more time on the court, like like uh, like Curry and, and Clay. Well, tell me what you think about the Cavaliers. I mean, you must watch them a little bit at least. Um, mm. And it's it, they're you know obviously have had a dominant run in the in the playoffs so far. They haven't lost a game, and they've been pushed only a, really a couple times. It was interesting because Detroit was in. That the series, they were in every game, but you never yeah. felt like they were going to win any of them. <laughs> yes, they were. You know, Pistons, the Pistons uh, made a made a real good uh, showing this year. Finally, getting back in the playoffs. Uh, I don't I don't see how they can go much further with what they have. But anyway, the Cavaliers, you know, yeah, they look. They took they they gave the Warriors, you know, a lot of a lot of trouble last year, and they didn't have two of their three best players, so. You know, obviously, the Cavaliers, <laughs> to me, they're going to be the favorites. I know they don't have home court, but to me, home court, as we can see with the with the Spurs in Oklahoma City, home court really doesn't matter when you when you really got two good teams going at each other. And uh, so, look, I'm not even so sure at this point the Warriors are going to make the finals. I really don't. I mean, you know, Oklahoma City to me, um, they they could be peaking. Certainly, the Warriors. No, are, are looking really good. The Cavaliers are certainly peaking, and uh, you know they're, they're happier now, they're healthier now. The Cavaliers, I'm talking about, they're health, happier, healthier, they're more hydrated now. I hear, and and, um, and um, the coach, the coach is uh, somebody that um, is making more sense to them, especially LeBron than David Blatt did, and they've also. They've eliminated their big man, so they will play small. They won't play big. And, uh, you know, I just love I love the uh, 
that's worth the price of admission. Uh, I might even mm-hmm. pay to see that. Uh, you know, those no, guys don't, don't wait a minute. Don't get crazy on me. When was the last time you paid to go to a game? Yeah, I don't, I'm sorry. I, I lost it. I lost it. <laughs> Yeah, you do. I think you were just seeing if I was paying attention. Uh, okay, my, here's my thing about the Cavaliers. Um, I I don't know who Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love guard on the Warriors. How do they line up defensively and and play defense against the Warriors? Well, now you're asking a lot from me. Um, you know, look at times at times again, you got to match up against the other guy too. So. Kyrie Irving at his best is going to make uh, Curry, if he guards Curry, um, going to make him work very hard, and that's going to, you know, cut down on his offense. You would think a little bit. Um, right. You know, you've got you've got J.R. Smith, who's, who's always a pretty good defender. You got Shumpert coming off the bench, pretty good defender. You got Delazovo, whatever his name is, and, and uh, you know he'll he'll start his fight. Um, <laughs> you know, they've got you know Tristan. Tristan plays. Plays, uh, you know, really well, but you yeah. don't have to guard him. You don't have to guard him at all, but uh, it doesn't matter. He just hits the boards no matter who's blocking him out. So I don't know. You know, I, I'm not thinking about it like that, John. Right? Okay. Well, that, that's I, the biggest thing for me last year when people talked about how you know Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love didn't play in that series, and if they had, you, you need to add the you know 30 to 40 points that they would score, and therefore the Cavaliers would have beaten the Warriors. And and I was thinking about the points that they would give up. Yeah. Uh, because neither yeah, of them well, are. Yeah, well, you know, it's a good point. Good point. I don't. I you know, I I, I was on the uh, uh, I was on the Hall of Fame committee when uh, Chris Mullins' name came up, and uh, my my uh, response is that was the same as yours when they told me that you know the guy deserves you know being the first first ballot uh, into the Hall of Fame. He like scored twenty three thousand points or something like that. I said, yeah, but he gave up twenty five thousand. <laughs> he, was, he was practically a DH. So, <laughs> so, so uh, he didn't make the first round. I, I, I think he made it the second year. And, and you know, same thing with Richie Miller. You know, like those kind of guys don't deserve to be in on the first ballot. They deserve to be in, but not on the first ballot. And um, so they had to wait a year or two. I think one might have waited more than one. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. But but again. Uh, I want to see how two healthy teams play each other, and then we can try to, you know, figure it out and, and do the diagrams on the blackboard. And I can meet with all my assistants and have, you know, off, off to the side before before talking to the players. You know? Well, I think that <laughs> that it's uh, health is going to be an issue for the Warriors right now, and and I think I, I made a, a case, and I'm going to be writing a thing for Crossover Chronicles later today. That that was the the most important fifth game closeout in NBA history. Yeah, they needed the rest. No, huh? no team up three one ever needed to win more than the Warriors needed to win last night. And it wasn't just the rest. I mean, at the beginning of the game, this was the case. Because if they go to Portland for Game Six, they stand a very good chance of losing that game. That's a yeah. very difficult place to play. Blazers have yeah. confidence. Their confidence is surging. Now you're yeah. back to a game seven on your home floor. And should you somehow get through that, you got like two days off before you start the next round. I mean, it would just – it'd be a disaster. With with just Steph's situation, it would be a disaster. Now Bogut gets hurt in the game, in game five. Draymond gets hurt in game five. And if they had to go up to game six without those guys, 
then you yeah. know let's just let's just send the backups and take the loss. You know, let's not even yeah. put Curry on the plane. So yeah, Pop, uh, that's what Pop would do. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I I think that it's so important uh, that the Warriors have this time, uh, so they have a chance to play either Oklahoma City and San Antonio. And I want to ask you about that series because I am shocked. I am really shocked. I wrote San Antonio. I mean, I wrote Oklahoma City off early in this season, and part of it really is not their fault. I, I look at the Monty Williams wife car crash as a defining moment of Oklahoma City's season this year. They were like 53 and 14 before that, and they really struggled after it. And a lot of their fourth quarter collapses were after that. They didn't have Monty Williams, who's the guy. Billy Donovan's a rookie. Right, he's been in, and and he's a rookie from college. He's not just a rookie coach like Kerr was. Kerr was an NBA hey, lifer. He had a hell of an NBA career though, Billy Donovan. But it was a long time ago. In terms of knowing the players, I'm kidding. He covered, you know, he was one year. He played for a, a year, right? With the so, Knicks, yeah. Hey, John, he, uh, John, he was yeah. my first interview on on a cable network out in Long Island. I was, I started doing TV out there and. Uh, that's how, where I got my time. He came out. He's from Long Island. And he came out. We did the interview. I'll never forget it. <laughs> wow. Nice guy. Yeah, he's uh, a and I think, he's a I think when they hired him, they said, okay, we'll take this guy who's from college. He doesn't know all the players in the NBA. He doesn't know really how the NBA works. But he's a smart guy, and players like him, and he's our guy. But we're going to put Monty Williams and Mo Cheeks next to him and, and help him learn the ropes. And much like this, the Warriors did that with, you know, with Gentry. And and all of a sudden he loses both of them because Cheeks has this hip surgery thing. At the same time, Williams' wife dies in this tragic car crash, and and suddenly Donovan's by himself. So I really I just didn't think they were going to make it through this round. And I'll buy and, I'll buy the Monty Williams part, but Maurice Cheeks, who I've known since he was you know working with the Seventy Sixers. I'm not so sure about his coaching, John, or what. So the the, the line on him when he was at Portland was that, uh, you know, well, how well prepared are the uh, the Blazers? And they said, well, you know, Maurice doesn't know the starting lineup of the opposing team until they're announced. Okay, so that's not very good. Um, <laughs> but Monty Williams is good. Uh, Monty Williams so, is terrific. Yeah, right, a, and he was their defensive. He was their defensive guy, right? So I, I have been very impressed with how Oklahoma City has played. I've been very impressed with Westbrook, of whom I'm not a fan, uh, although I'm kind of becoming one, as he seems to learn that the best way for him to get the ball is to, is to give the ball up, and then he'll get it. But if he just takes it, then bad things happen. And But really, San Antonio, to me, Peter, just doesn't look like themselves in this series. Is that is that what Oklahoma City is doing to them, or, or is there something missing in, in that the Spurs? Well, again, again, uh, you know, they're, they're so athletic. Yeah, they've got Leonard and they got Aldridge, and uh, they, you know, they got some. And Anderson is is, uh, is really good. Uh, not Anderson. No, you know, he doesn't play much, right? But they right. should play more. I think they should play the younger guys more. They, you know, I, I think they, um. I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm not helping you. I can't hear yeah, you for right. one. Just lost you know, for a second. They lost them. They lost them to the Raptors as a free agent because they uh, had to sign, had to use the money for Aldridge. Aldridge so um, they they really miss him. He's doing he's doing great with the Raptors. So um, 
They should have yeah. should have thought of that. That Reggie Jackson would have been a great one, but didn't get along with the team, and so they had to move him out. But I'm a, I'm a fan of his too because he's he's off the chart. He, you know, he's a little crazy, but um, but I like him. And uh, you got to have those guys on your team. You want to win a championship. You you better have that wild card. And, right, and for the Warriors, it, that's Draymond. I mean, he's the guy that sure. Sure. They yeah, rested him one game, one game this year, and it was like they were playing in a library. It right. was like <laughs> there was no there was no energy, no passion with with him out of the game uh, in right. three clothes on the bench. And you can see he does it. He does what he does. I, I think to to incite himself, incite the team, incite the crowd. And uh, I don't, you know, maybe it's an act, maybe it's not, maybe that's really him, but it works. You know, I think the thing with Henderson the other day was was to was get get everybody because they were down. You know, what were they down? Sixteen to two at the beginning of that game, and, and right. so I, I think it was all all right. You know, let's, we need we need something to be done here. So he got touched and he pushed them. He got technical. Like wait a minute. <laughs> well, he has a he has a really good instinct for that that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, they don't although, talk about that they, enough. Well, they don't talk about that. Well, they don't talk about anything enough. They talk about themselves. That's all they talk about. Well, the wow. the, uh, the the Warriors have a thing, and, and I noticed it with Portland too. And I wrote a thing after Game Four of the Portland series, or maybe it was Game Three, that the Warriors were were kind of looking in a mirror when they were looking at Portland. Portland was doing the things to them they do to other people. They, yeah. You know, Lillard was hitting long threes. They're running yeah. all these ball screens to free up the three-point shooters. It's open up, opening up stuff inside. They're switching everything. Um, that, that they really, especially without Steph, those two teams are, are evenly matched. And you could even say with Steph off out of the game and Lillard in the game, the Blazers even have a little bit of a personnel edge. And especially because McCollum is your Clay Thompson. He's a guy that, you know, he's, really, he's right there. Boy, and the watch. other thing I noticed, oh, yeah. The other thing I noticed about them, though, is there's no knuckleheads on that team, like the Warriors. There are no selfish guys. There are no knuckleheads, and they've got a really good coach. Those two teams really look similar. The Warriors are like a year ahead of them. That's that's basically it. Well, I would say, I would now, let me stop you here. I would say that Draymond is a bit of a knucklehead, and well, I think it's covered up. Not, well, let me explain. Let me say, okay. but I, I think it's covered up by winning. And what we just gave him props for, what he's able to do is, you know, get his team going and stuff. But I am, I am definitely not a fan of of what he does to the coaches. You know, it's, it, I don't think it's talked about enough. You know how he'll undress them, talk back to them, talk back to uh, you know Walton when he was doing his curve, got into it. You know, one incident got out, but there's been many more. And you know where he threatened threatened Iguodala one day for you know whatever right before the All Star break. You know it's like really, you know it's like in many ways he, he reminds me of Anthony Mason in that regard. You know Mason would just not shut up and uh, get into it with his teammates and whatever. It didn't. So I'm saying he's a bit of a knucklehead. Okay, and and I I respect your opinion, and so I and you obviously have more insight. Uh, data than than I do uh, for that. What I see from the outside uh, is a guy who burns to win, um, and and one of the things that separates him from a lot of knuckleheads is he's not a selfish player, and he he's not looking to get his points. In fact, he he chased a triple double in a game against the 76ers early in the year, yeah. 
and it almost cost them the game. They had a big lead. And then he apologized for that, and he recalled it in the playoffs. I think it was in one of the Houston series. Somebody asked him about his triple-double, and he he says, I don't pay any attention. I learned my lesson in that 76ers game. I don't chase triple doubles anymore. I have no idea what my what my stats are. But Johnny, and, the same guy that in that locker room incident was you know cursing out Kerr because uh, he wasn't getting enough shots. So I don't well, know. Well, that could have been that he really felt he had a better chance to make them than the people who were taking him. Well, maybe, but that, you know, still, you're, you're cursing out your yeah. coach, you know, and, and yeah. people are like, yeah. And, uh, he well, said, you know, you don't like it? Come over here and stop me. You know, say, you know, what? <laughs> I think that's how pretty well in Carlissimo's thought. You know, I think that's Well, and I would agree that that um, in some ways he's very mature, and he makes statements after games that that sort of I just go, wow, I can't believe a player made that statement. It's so it's so profound. But in other ways, he's immature, and I mean, he's still got some Saginaw in him. Let's face it. You know, and and he 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 went to Michigan State, and he was in Izzo's program for four years, and 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 it was like a finishing school, and they and they they honed a lot of those edges on him, yeah. and then more have been honed since he got to the Warriors. But but you, you you scratch the surface, and and he's from Saginaw, and my wife's from Saginaw, different parts of, of Saginaw, but I, right. I know I know kind of what what that's about. So. Um, well, look, so I, know I, I, I also agree with you that when your team is winning, that that stuff can be dealt with, and and when your team is losing, um, all of a sudden that gets really irritating really fast. Yeah, look, he, he is he is young. You know, success came to him very quickly. The kind of success he's having now, the money came to him very quickly. So there's a lot to deal with. Uh, you know, I'll I'll say it again. I have trouble dealing with uh, my stuff. You know, in my 30s. So. You know, but we're discussing him, so right. We'll we'll see we'll see how it turns out. How he how he how the team will uh, you know how the team handle or see you know what they do. I'm losing you here, Pete. I'm losing you. You're you're. I can't I can't understand you. I don't know if you. I'm sorry. No, no. I'm staying in the same part. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't. You know, let's let's see how what happens in the off season. You know, with, with Barnes and you know, if the team does not win a championship, uh, will they give Barnes twenty two million that he wants? Uh, well, you know, how will how will how will that affect everything? Is Dealey they got to bring him back? Bogey, what will they do with him? And it'll be interesting. They got a lot of a lot of changes Boy. coming up. A lot of changes. Even even yeah. Even winning seventy three. The Barnes thing, I I think I don't see how they can give Barnes a max contract or anything close close to it. I think, and I think if he is smart, and he's really smart, he's maybe too smart sometimes for for playing basketball. I think he overthinks things and he gets himself tied in knots. But he needs to understand that he needs that team more than that team needs him, and and that he could take a huge contract, go to another team and yes he's got the money and this is the part that as a guy who doesn't have millions of dollars to me it's easy to say oh you should take 10 instead of 20 right because it's not my 10 million that I'm not getting but I look at a career arc and he could take 20 million and go to another team where they want to make him the big piece he's not the big piece and it's not going to take that long to even figure out that he's not the big piece right and he's going to have a miserable time because people are going to hate him well, right now, people are irritated with him, but they like him. He's still our HB, but 
he, they, but he's irritating them because he hasn't hit, you know, he hit that one important shot. And thank, thank God for it from the Warrior standpoint, getting that game into overtime so Steph could score his 17 points. That doesn't happen if he doesn't hit that shot. But he's missed so many difference-making shots right. uh, just in these playoffs. I mean, they could have had so much more separation from the Blazers if he had hit some shots that well, he missed. Well, I think it's clear, John, it's clear that no matter what happens, whether he stays with the Warriors or whether he goes somewhere else, it's going to be overpaid. Because everybody, everybody that's a free agent this year is going to be overpaid. There's so much because money. Because of the cap situation. There's just so yeah. much money, right. Yeah. Right. So somebody is but, going to overpay him and think that he can be more than he is. And uh, and what you just said is going to probably happen. And um, yeah, well, I'm, so hoping I'm that just saying the Warriors, so, you know, Iguodala can move into that spot easy. You know, yeah. Well, right, but then you don't have the bench unit. Right. You know, you don't have what you what, what really makes them different is that Steph, you know, and Draymond go off the floor, and oh, here comes Iguodala and Livingston and and Spades, and and that's what really has separated them, and I I think that that I hope they go to Harrison Barnes and say, look, Harrison, we know you could get more money somewhere else. I'm just going to be honest with you, we can't we can't give you what the market would bear. We like you, we want you to stay, we hope you want to stay. Here's a nice contract. And well, I right. hope so I, I believe, I, John, I believe their thinking is, is that the owner's thinking is, is that they're going to protect their assets. And um, they're going to make a big mistake. But oh, so they'll God, have, I hope not. Well, that's what I hear. Because, again, so, that just leads to angst and and disappointment for everybody down the line when he turns out not to be worth it, which he won't and be. That's, and that's how you lose chemistry. And right. So, we're, we're talking about next year, but uh, what else do you want to talk about this year? All right. So we are well into this thing, and, and I haven't put in any kind of a natural break where I could split this into two um, podcasts. So I'm just going to plow forward and see if I can – as they say in TV, I'm going to try to fix it in post. Um, <laughs> just fake so it, John. That's I, what I do. Fake it. What's that? Fake it. Okay. Just fake um, it, yep. So we talked a year ago – about the 75 to 76 Warriors and about Butch Beard, which was, I think, the first thing. It was very shortly after the finals, traded Butch Beard to White Davis, and you told me you were going to tell me why sometime. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that now is the time, but, but before I get to that, it's interesting because the Warriors are now – see, last year the Warriors, you know, they, they really had a mirror on that 75 season. It was very similar. Low expectations. They Obviously, they had a much better record than the 75 Warriors did, but – they were, you know, they went through the playoffs and they won and they and they surprised everyone and they, okay, and they won their championship. And and then the next year, those 75, 76 Warriors won, I think, 59 games, which was yeah, an 11 or so point improvement over the year before. I think they won 48 the year they won the championship. So they went to 59. Right. This team went from 67 to 73. Uh, they had three all-stars in that game in 76, Phil Smith, Jamal Wilkes, and Rick Barry. And the Warriors had three all-stars in this game this year. And there are a lot of similarities. And what a guy, me, who sat in the last row of the Oakland Coliseum for Game 7 against Phoenix, you know, what I as a Warrior fan fear is that that's going to replicate itself too. So Yeah, I won't begin to try to figure that out. Free agency agency ruined that team. You know, uh, by the way, it wasn't Jamal back then. It was Keith, right? And, and I think by his second year it might have been Jamal, but he was oh, really Keith when he started. Yeah, really? he became so, Jamal. Yeah, so in so he left, he left, and uh, that that was, you know, man. I mean, talk about not protecting your assets. 
they didn't want to pay him. Rookie of the year, and then he has a great second year. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, they, okay, so we, you know, we, we've got the, all this talent on the team. Gus Williams with a rookie that second year, right? And, yeah. Uh, and, he, and he got into it with that. They, they didn't talk for years and years. Rick Ray told me recently that he finally, uh, he finally got them to talk again. And, uh, of course, Rick being Rick, he didn't know why they weren't talking. But Gus remembered. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was a great team. Can you tell me what it Bill was? Smith. Bill Smith was, God, was he good. Man, yeah. he was unbelievable. Loved yeah. watching him he play. Played, played USF when they were really, really good. And uh, and I think I don't think the Warriors ever really appreciated how good he was because he was a local guy and you know San Francisco, oh. Washington High School, um, oh, and man. and had just been you know had been around the local scene for so long. Uh, but tell me, why did they trade Butch Beard? Because they drafted <laughs> they were going to draft Gus Williams. No, they they traded him because his wife was mouthing off. About what? Whatever. He had a oh. lot to say, and. Uh, <laughs> Muley, Muley didn't like it, and uh, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not sure if Al was the one who said he's got to go. I think Bertley was the GM, right, at that time, Dick Bertley? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was the reason, and, uh, you know, the poor lady, she's since died, which uh, is living in uh, Harlem, I believe, now. And uh, But that was an amazing story that you had a starting point guard and he traded soon after you knew something happened yeah traded for a like a journeyman you know power forward yeah it was just just uh, to get him out of there and and uh you know he was very very important to that team that veteran leadership and toughness and uh i'm gonna give you a bush i'm gonna give you a bush beard story okay um he's doing I, i'm not sure if he was I think he's doing commentary. He's doing commentary for the Knicks. So soon after his retirement, and he's working with Marv Albert. And uh, Marv had a big party uh, out, out where he lived in San Point or somewhere like that. And he had a, a man, a hundred people there. And uh, Butch Beard and I wound up playing one-on-one on his court in front of, in front of everybody. And, uh, and I beat him. And, and um, Butch, Butch near on the last play of the game, he, he almost took my head off and hit me so hard. And I was making shots. Curry would have been proud of me. And and uh, <laughs> so he said, you know, he was so mad, he was so mad. You know, yeah, now you're gonna write about it. Now you know, this is the first time I'm telling anybody about it. So I never, I never wrote about it. But now years later, um, I see him at Dean Memage's funeral. He's there with Clifford Ray. And uh, I drive them downtown after it was in Harlem. I drive them downtown, and we're talking about that day, that night. And uh, he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you beat me." He said, "So you beat me." He said, "I wasn't even an all-star." <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed. I thought that was a funny line, right? Well, yeah. I went home and looked it up. He was an all-star one year. <laughs> oh, with the with the Cavs. I don't remember, but he lied to me. Yeah. I'm not lying to my own car, giving him a free ride. You know, it's like, oh, it's so, it's so funny. So wow. Those, well, those, those, uh, are, those are the personal stories I would like to put in the book, and these guys don't want to hear it. Right. Because who's Butch Beard, right? Yeah. 
but it's, it's NBA. It's covering the NBA. Is a right of beating beating an all star. <laughs> well, Peter, what, when you think about um, let's talk about the ABA for a minute, because as I said at the beginning of this uh, a long time ago, um, the the ABA as time goes forward, fewer and fewer people remember it, fewer people have seen it, and uh, and it's I think incorrectly thought of as um, an inferior product, um, you know, almost a minor league, and and help people understand what what the ABA was really all about. Well, I mean, for anybody, the only people who were saying it was an inferior league were the were the NBA people who then say that publicly and then uh, privately would try to uh, would merge the two leagues. You know, other words, it wasn't for the uh, the lawsuits, the anti antitrust lawsuits to stop the merger, there would have been a merger in the early 70s. There was so much talent that was, was going to the ABA, either by the draft or, you know, they didn't care about the draft. The ABA didn't care about anything except getting players suited up, you know, or getting players to jump, you know, like Rick Barry and Billy Cunningham and, and Zelmo Beatty and Joe Caldwell and you know, they would take, take some of their best players, and then finally the, AB, the NBA started stealing players back. You know, they, they would get they got Spencer Haywood, and, uh, you know, they the Sonics, they would get John, they got John Brisker and Jim Pan, who didn't pan out for the Sonics. But, so they were, you know, Charlie Scott, the Phoenix, um, you know, Connie Hawkins came from the, uh, from the ABL. Um no, one one year at the ABA. I'm sorry, one year at Pittsburgh in the ABA. So you know, there's a lot of jumping around, a lot of talent. You know, all I can say to try to put it in perspective, I, I might not have the number right. I, I keep getting it wrong every time. But first year it was a consolidation. Four teams come over the All Star game. I believe that there were 13 or so, or 11 to 13 ABA players in the All Star game. That says it all. Yeah. That says it all. And then the second year, there were even more. I mean, when you when you talk about, you know, when you end up the talent, I mean, you know, they, they could play. When they went up to head-to-head in the exhibition games, the ABA did, did famously, you know? <laughs> right. Well. And, and so they, um, you know, when you talk about, you know, Julius Irving and Gervin and David Thompson and Thistle and Gilmore, all the famers. George McGinnis not in the Hall of Fame yet. Are you kidding me? You know, there were so many guys that they were running the guys that, that people would think are Hall of Famers. Like, I get into an argument with Jerry Colangelo. I'm not even talking to him right now because he thinks that, you know, the ABA has exhausted the number of people that should be in the Hall of Fame. And I and I'm saying, you don't even know, you don't even know the ABA. You know, you stole a couple guys from the ABA, you know, Charlie Scott being one of them, and he's, he's right on the edge of being in the Hall of Fame from college, you know, from college and pro, what he did. And, uh, you know, I said, you don't even know who James Jones is. You know, you don't know who Willie Wise is, Ron Boone. Oh, I know who they are. I said, if you knew who they were, you'd know they're Hall of Fame players. But James Jones was one of the best guards in, in captivity. And uh, ask, ask Rick Barry. Rick, Rick, Rick and I, uh, you know, we talked about this because we were on the ABA committee, the Hall of Fame committee together. You know, Willie Wise was, he says, was the best, the, the hardest cover of him, of anybody that ever played him, played against him. 
And, you know, so that's, that's the best I can do in explaining it. There was an awful lot of talent, uh, an awful lot of fun. Uh, obviously, loyalty is, exists into the hereafter. And um, a lot of camaraderie. It was, it was a great time for me, for everybody. We were all trying to prove ourselves. And uh, so you go into, say, say you go into Virginia, into Hampton Roads or something, or uh, Richmond, or they played in four different cities. And after a game, you go to the hotel, and uh, you'd be with uh, the trainers, the referees, the, uh, the players, the coaches, and the ball girls. This <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. the ABA. <laughs> yeah, good times. Uh, well, I, I want to. Um, so I'm going to ask you this question because I don't know if I'm ever going to get to ask it to Rick Barry. Although I really would love to to chat with him on on one of these podcasts. Um, what was it like for him when he first got to the ABA? I mean, he scored uh, over there. He, in fact, I think he led the league in scoring. Although he got hurt that first year, he blew out his knee. But he, uh, he I think he was leading the league in scoring when he did. Um, but what was it like for him defensively to get over to the ABA and have to cover some of these guys? Was it was it generally tougher, or was it you know really the same? Meaning you know, hard. Rick, Rick obviously more offense than defense. So if he guarded Roger Brown, you know they could both get fifty. I didn't even mention Roger Brown and Bell Daniels and those guys. You know I didn't mention Larry Keenan. Well, you know yeah, you'd have to, every every night you'd have to guard a real offensive power. And uh, so they would score, but he, he probably would, you know, score more. He tried. You know, before that knee injury, I, I was telling his sons this years ago, I was at a party at French House in, uh, in California during the finals. John was there. And uh, I was telling them how good his, their father was. And I said, you know, before he beat knee surgery, your father averaged like 10 rebounds a game. You get the point. 30, you know, mid-30, 30, 35 and 10. And they had no idea that he was a rebounder. Rick, Rick was a, you know, Rick, Rick had a lot of, had a lot of uh, Westbrook. And, you know, he was like, he, he would go after everybody and they'd go after him and, he, you know, he'd be unchained. And uh, he'd get in fights all the time. People would always want to fight him. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I ever saw him win one. But but he but he was but he was in the middle of them. Um, I remember a playoff game that was played at actually Hofstra between the Squires and the Nets, and um, you know a small gym, you know four thousand five thousand capacity, and uh, they had to move it there because the Island Garden was whatever. They had a rodeo there something that day, but but. Um, he got in a fight with Charlie Scott, and um, I mean it was an outrageous fight. You know, one of the you know one of those ones you read about in books, and you know, like it just everybody got into it on the on the on the floor. And I was coaching the Rucker in those days, and I Charlie Scott played for me. Uh, many of those guys on both teams played for my team, the West Siders and the Rucker. And I swear, I don't know what got into me, but I went out on the floor to try to stop it. And Manny Leakes, Manny Leakes is about 6'9". Manny's still around. 6'9", power forward. 
and he just threw me. What the hell is he? Threw me off the court, and and he placed me in a rocker. I think I still have his size, you know, fifteen shoes in my closet that he left there and never came back for. But but um, and then that fight that fight continued into the locker room. Charlie Scott trying to get into the Nets locker room to fight Rick again. It was like, oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, Rick, wow. Rick could bring out the worst in you, and uh, but he was a great player. And uh, he, was, he was great to be around one-on-one, you know, and with more than one around, it was, it was a little difficult. Uh, we yeah. did hang together. We hung together for two years. Oh, interesting. He's... Um... He's 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 quite a character and and quite a you know he's he's had an interesting um, career he after. about me. <laughs> well, and it's true in that case as well. Uh, the, you know, the difference was that you could do what you did for forty five years and he couldn't. Yeah. So he had he's, he's had to find other things to do. And Not to shame. He, he is he is so outspoken and can't control himself. And then I'm a lot like that too. Um, and it's cost him. It's cost me. But he he uh, to listen to him talk basketball is is an honor, you know. He just knows the game so well, and he's from Jersey, so I've been kind of you know following him most of his career. Uh, I even uh, I went down to uh, my aunt when he was sitting down there. I, I I was only in school maybe six months in college. And I hitchhiked down to Florida. I knew, knew a couple guys that played on Miami, uh, uh, Chuck Chuck Hobbler and uh, Kessler. They're from New York, and we played outside ball together. And they're on the same team as him in Miami. There was a guy named McCoy, a seven-footer. Mike McCoy, I believe. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I actually tried out for the team. You know, they have Bruce Hale, his father-in-law, future father-in-law, yeah. coaching, coaching. And, and I'm, like, living on campus with friends of mine, you know, for nothing. and just I mean, you know, living the life, man. And I tried out for the team, and I was doing really well, you know, for a few days. And somebody told Bruce Hale, but he's not even, he's not even registered here. And, and he, <laughs> he came and he asked me about it. I said, no, nah, nah, I'm just, you know, hanging out. I played a boy, you know. He kicked my, he chased me, kicked me in the ass, get out of the gym, get the hell out of here. And I just went outside and played outside. They had a bunch of courts outside, and I went out and played outside. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. so I've been around Rick, been around Rick a long time. Um, I was at a Hall of Fame dinner in, in Brooklyn the other day, and a guy named Jim Raftery, you can look it up, played at St. Francis of Brooklyn. They played Miami in the NIT, or I think it was the NIT, yeah, NIT and uh, they lost. 72 to 71, as I recall, and Raftery held Rick to nine points. And wow. he's been he's been living off that his whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't give him baseline. <laughs> wow. But it's true. It's absolutely true. So people can look it up. Well, I knew Bruce Hale, too, um, in a very strange um twist of, of fate. He he was a sales guy for KNBR, the radio station in San Francisco that the, the Giants were on. I think the Warriors were on not then. The Warriors were on a different station when they won the championship. But Bruce Hale had a little side business where he produced game programs 
for local colleges. And I was going to San Francisco State, and he was producing the San Francisco State program, and he needed someone to sell advertising for the Cal State Hayward program. And uh, and so the SID at SF State asked me if I wanted to do that, and I said, sure. So I, it was my first job. I was a freshman uh, in college, the summer after my freshman year in college. And he actually provided me a car, Jeez. somebody's old Falcon, that because <laughs> wow. I had to drive from San Francisco over to Hayward every day and go to all the little businesses and sell them, you know, business card size ads and quarter page ads and, and such. And then he'd meet with me like every Friday and he'd buy me a, a burger um, and a shake at the uh, the giant hamburgers place in, right. in Oakland, in Hayward rather. And he'd pay me right there, write me a check for my commission on whatever I sold that week. Um, and was just wow. a, a wonderful you were, you gentleman. Were lucky. You, you were very lucky to have known him. Uh, I don't know if you know this, John, but do you know his wife is still alive? Um, I yeah. no, I didn't. I don't think I knew that. She went, wow, yeah. that this was because he passed away. He died of a massive heart attack suddenly on New Year's Eve day in '79, yeah. yeah. something along. Exactly. That. She uh, is still alive, and she lives with her daughter, Rick's ex-wife Pam, in in uh, near near San Francisco. You know, I'm guessing right where, where it is. And um, yeah, she's ninety, you know, six or whatever, and still at I would the top think. of her game. And uh, you want to get her to a, to a podcast with you? That would be great. I, I, uh, so I met I met um, Brent at uh, so there was a, the Warrior announcer Tim Roy is a good friend of mine. Uh, years ago, before he was doing the Warriors, he was working in Sacramento. Oh, and before after Phoenix, you're right. Okay. After Phoenix, he was in Sacramento. Um, and, and we were both working for the station that did the Kings. He was the backup Kings guy to Gary Gerald. And, um, he did Sac State football and I did color cause I'd been the SID at Sac State. So I was, you know, we worked together for three years doing Sac State football. And he used to ask me once in a while if I could do stats for him. And I got two kids, so rarely could I do it. But there was one game I was able to say yes and do it. And it happened to be the day they retired Chris Mullins Jersey. And that was the night that Joe, they had just traded Monte Ellis for Bogut, who was hurt. The crowd was incensed. Yeah, Joe Lacob went out to present this jersey yeah. to Mullen and got booed out of the building. And much like you at that game at Hofstra, Rick Barry thought he had the kind of, of uh, relationship with everyone in the building that he could go out and make this right. He grabbed right. the microphone. And and tried to get these people to stop booing Joe Lacob, and they just booed louder. For right. I, it seemed I, like an hour. I remember reading about it. Yeah. And so that night, um, with Tim under the that bar that's under the the arena, um, I'm there with Tim and, and Greg Papa, and there's Brent Barry. And so I got to chat with him for a little bit, and told him that I knew his father-in-law, or great grandfather rather, his grandfather, and uh, and and that. His uncle, Alan, Pam's uh, brother, who t- took over the program business when Bruce died suddenly. His son I had it, I got thrust that. into at least getting us through the season because it's December, right? So we got all these basketball games left this year. So because we'd give him the rosters and everything we needed, you know, and he'd, he'd make the programs for us. So he, he jumped into that. And so we got to know him, and we used to play basketball in the in the gym at SF State every Sunday after we got our press releases done, like four o'clock Sunday. We we'd have games in the gym. We'd invite people, and we invited Alan 
to come play with us one day, and he comes and he shows up with these kids. And, you know, they're ranging in age from, like, four to nine or something. And and they're shooting the ball from 25 feet. And I said, Alan, are those your kids? He goes, oh, no, no, those are Rick's kids. They're my, they're my nephews. So that was my first experience with, with Brent and John and, and Scooter um, was watching them uh, launch but way before there was a three-point line, launch yeah. shots in the gym at, at San Francisco State, um, oh. and uh, it's kind of a funny, kind of a funny story. So there you go. Anyway, John, I got to, uh, I got to, got to get on with your life. We're, we're, uh, I thank you so much for this. Um, love to chat with you uh, anytime, not just recorded, but just for fun. It's a, it's a great thing. I learn a lot, and, uh, and. You make me laugh, and and I can make you laugh sometimes, and it's a good, uh, it's a good thing. All right, John. Um, have, have a good, uh, have, have a good day. Okay. Thanks very go, much, Pete. Appreciate go it. Dubs. <laughs> go Dubs. Go Dubs. Dub Nation. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you're it, welcome. and uh, and we will, um, and we'll, I'll stay in touch on Twitter, and and if okay. uh, if, if I need you for a short thing, I'll I'll sure. uh, I'll ask. Just get your opinion on something quick. I'll I'll, uh, I'll do that. I won't right, I won't take John. two hours of your time next time. All right, John. Take it easy, man. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye.